Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the Universal Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center. And today we are in Okeechobee, Florida. And my guest is Mr. Ralph Pelez. Mr. Ralph, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Joe. It's a pleasure to have you here on the ranch. And um, uh, I think that uh, it's wonderful to have a chance to chat with you. Uh, the IFAS and, and uh, ONA has been so good to us, and we, we've uh, received receive you guys with open arms all the time. And I will anticipate today that um, with the knowledge and the body of work that Mr. Ralph has done, uh, for so long, so we may have uh, different sections, so that will be the first one that we'll talk to Mr. Ralph, but probably we'll come back later and expand to different topics. But today, um, I will first ask Mr. Ralph to introduce himself a little bit and tell us a little bit about his life. Okay. Um, uh, I'm Ralph Pelias, and I was born in Colombia, South America. I graduated from the University of Florida 50 years ago, and uh, I've been a rancher all my life, even before then. My father was in the cattle business in Colombia uh, before coming here, and he was a uh, great teacher. He was a, a tremendous cattleman and horseman, and uh, he gave me my start, and uh, I owe everything to him, and so everything we do here, uh, we try to make him proud. Okay, and, and Mr. Ralph, um, can you please describe briefly your operation here in Okeechobee? Uh, here in Okeechobee, we have a cow-calf operation, and um, the family owns uh, two properties in Okeechobee County, and we manage uh, two other properties for uh, absentee owners uh, from uh, Columbia, and they also uh, bought a ranch from us in Texas that I ran for 11 years, and I no longer have to travel to Texas, so I helped them find a manager for that. But uh, we've had cattle in um, in Georgia and in Alabama and in Texas. And Mr. Rolfe, I think today we will focus on heifer development. That is probably um, you are uh, well known. In, in the state of Florida for your heifer development program and I think today I'd like to, to touch in some points about heifer development with you. So um, my first question is why did you select the breeds and genotypes that you have right now and what was the progress until you get here and have this kind of cattle today? Uh, when my father came from Colombia in 1952 uh, all the breeds that, that he encountered here were all new to him. Uh, the breeds that he worked with in, in Colombia were the Normandy cattle from the high elevation, 6,000 feet above sea level. And then in the tropics, there was the Cebu, and there were uh, two or three different breeds of Bostaris heat-resistant cattle, short-haired Bostaris cattle. And when he came here, um, there was a plethora of breeds that he had to weed through uh, until he found the ones that uh, that he found most suitable for for him, which was uh, Brahmin and Angus. 
okay and and nowadays you your uh, heifer development program is pretty much on uh, Brangus cows on Brangus bulls correct that's correct dr. Joe um, probably about uh, 30 years ago we wanted to change from the system that we had we were using a crisscross system of Brahmin and Angus and we would breed the offspring of of uh, if we if we bred a group of cows to a Brahmin bull, we'd breed that offspring to Angus, and then the offspring from that we'd breed to Brahmin. So it was cross back and forth, and um, we were trying to find a way to fix the amount of Brahmin because the cattle that were two thirds uh, Brahmin took a big discount, and uh, we wanted something less complicated, you might call it. And so we um, we decided on on Brangus. And um, for that heifer to be in your heifer development program, so uh, besides your commercial cattle, I assume that you have a group of heifers that will become your replacement heifers. So what is the criteria that you use to select that heifer and bring it to your heifer development program? Uh, the the first um, criteria is that. She must be born in a small breeding season of 75 days. And we only keep heifers from the cows that calve in 75 days successfully. And uh, then the next criteria at weaning time is uh, we make a phenotypic selection of the heifers who have the phenotype that's um, acceptable to us. Uh, short hair, uh, good bone, and uh, good disposition. And so that's the beginning of the selection at that time. And, and Mr. Ralph, um, we know that um, the reproductive traits, they usually have low herdability. So the herdability is low. So you have been doing that for a long time. So, um, how long do you think it took for you to get a consistent animal that you felt that was improved and could breed early and calf a two-year-old consistently? Um, as I mentioned earlier, my dad was a very astute cattleman, and uh, he always sold every cow every year that didn't bring a calf to the pens. So, he never, never kept open cows to breed back. That began, uh, that was going back 60 years when I was a little boy, and we continued to do that. And as I mentioned also that I graduated 50 years ago, and when I came home, I told my dad, I said, Dr. Warnick said that we should be breeding these heifers as one-year-olds. And so my dad uh, said, uh, that sounds good. We'll do it because we used to have a few that would get bred by accident. <laughs> and so that we saw, well, it's possible. But back in those days, we had no low birth weight EPDs. So it was it was pretty challenging. And we also didn't know about the nutrition necessary to get a very high percentage of them bred. We always felt like we got some bread. We'd breed them to an Angus bull. And uh, we thought, well, that's kind of a bonus. That one's going to have a calf a year ahead of the others. But we, I wish I had records of it, but I don't. But I, if I had to guess, we were probably 
in the 40s percent kind of thing. But but you know we fed uh, we fed those heifers with uh, uh, either molasses or with a slurry. Even back then, there was such a thing as slurry. It just kind of has come back. But a long time ago, we used slurry. And uh, so over the years, uh, the technique improved, the science improved, the researchers uh, like Dr. Arthington and Dr. Joe have, have come up with uh, better means of developing the heifers, but that is the most important thing is, is to get them in a, in a weight category that uh, that you can have a a good percentage of them to uh, be cycling and breed, and at that breeding age, breeding those heifers as yearlings. So you you have a selection probably of low birth weight Brangus bulls, and you also have used some AI, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, three years ago, we finally decided to to try uh, some timed AI. And we had been reluctant. We wanted to do it, but we were always scared to do it. And I thought, well, you know, it's not going to work for us. So we were very hesitant. But eventually we, we uh, mustered up the, the, uh, the fortitude to go ahead with it. And, and uh, Dr. Cliff Lamb was very instrumental in that. And so um, we, this year is our third year of doing it. And we, are still consider ourselves very novice. We have not been highly successful yet. We tried um, a different protocol after the first year when we weren't very successful. We tried a different protocol. We still weren't very successful. And so now this year we've tried a different method and we still have to wait to see what the results are going to be from that. And you still use some of your low birth weight uh, Brangus bulls, right? Because you you don't breed your heifers to Angus bulls, correct? That's correct. We only we only have Brangus bulls on the ranch. The cows have been uh, bred exclusively to Brangus bulls for more than 25 years. So you might say that these cow, cows are basically purebred Brangus cows. They just are not registered, but they've got generation upon generation of, of Brangus breeding. We do use uh, low birth weight bulls. They're not a guarantee. They're only uh, the best we can do. And we at times have had to uh, get DNA on some large calves to try to determine if we can find the sire of those large calves to eliminate him from the uh, heifer, from the low birth weight group. And um, so we don't have a, a large amount of problem, but we do watch the heifers daily. One time a day, we watch them. And I left the most important topic for the last, and, and that is nutrition <laughs> that we believe and we work on quite a bit. And uh, one time you mentioned one thing to me that it was, I think, probably one of the most important things that I heard on a practical standpoint on heifer development. You told me from that heifer, the time that she win to the time that she's bred, we're going to probably invest in about a ton of feed, or dry feed in that animal. So 
can you please uh, just describe to us what happened to your heifers by the time they are winded to the time that they are bred? Um, yes, when we wean the heifers and we make our selection, we know that uh, we have a target uh, to December the 15th, which is when we uh, start breeding them. And we, we need to uh, gain X amount of pounds per day to get her to that point. And there are different producers who go about it in slightly different ways. Some of them uh, kind of coast along and then push them at the end. Uh, what we do is kind of keep them going uh, pretty pretty well all the way through. Uh, we don't kind of wait till the last minute. So usually the heifers need to gain uh, about a pound and a half from our weight at weaning to get them to 825 pounds by the time that we are going to breed them. So it, it requires uh, the best pastures we have, and it requires uh, nutrition uh, that, that we do it with a dry supplement. Commodity feeds is what we do, um, and, um, and we feed them six days a week we years ago we tried three times a week like we do with our adult cows but uh, come to find out that uh, there's a situation there with with hormones near puberty that elevate and go down and so uh, we, we feed them six times a week and that's worked pretty good uh, usually the our heifers we expose them for a hundred in five days and the reason for that is that we keep the ones that breed the first 60 days for the ranch and then we sell the ones that bred the next 45 days and we we kind of think that the ones that breed the next 45 days were probably the younger heifers we're not certain of that yet but we this year we did a tract score on heifers is the first time we've ever done it and we learned that that uh the ones that scored lower the one and twos weighed 30 pounds less average than the ones that were track score three four and five so we feel like they're probably younger although we can't prove it and, and then that's not exclusively that's in general because we know there were a few heifers that were older, yes, but we think that's a general statement. So we're going to see how that works out with the tract score because we we um, put a seeder in them to see if we could initiate estrus in them, and we notch their ear tag so they we will know uh, at preg check time if some of those moved on up or they're the ones who stay behind because they're a little younger to begin with. So that's still in the works. And you have some experience in developing heifers here in Okeechobee and also sending some heifers out of state to to the northern states where they is a common practice between here the cattlemen in Florida because over there they may have a better everyday game. Can you please comment on that? What are your feelings and experience with that? Sure, Dr. Joe. Um, probably around 30 years ago or a little more, we had a ranch in Alabama 
that we were leasing. It was a very, very good ranch in West Central Alabama. And um, we had some um, fescue and clovers in the spring that, that were attractive for heifer development. And we had some uh, uh, byproduct there, whole cotton seeds. And such as that. So uh, also uh, some um, um, soil pellets. But anyhow, we we saw that the heifers that we had there on the ranch did real well. So we started sending heifers from Florida up there to that ranch also. And we were pretty successful. We'd bring back what we needed, bread. And... Um, uh, some years later, we uh, lost those leases, and we no longer had that ranch. So I started looking for other places to send them, and we sent some to Georgia, some to North Florida for a pretty good many years. But I was never real happy with the results, and the bottom line was always that they didn't really take care of them the way I wanted to because it was a matter of uh, cost of gain or or whatever pasture they had available as opposed to when they were on the ranch in Alabama, they got done the way that I dictated that they be done. And so we were more successful. So we eventually quit and um, I figured that we'd just sacrifice some cows here and make room for heifers and develop them the way that that I felt they needed to be. Many times the heifers uh, would be behind simply because they'd have to feed them until winter pasture came, and then that missed the whole uh, the whole idea of getting them bred early because they were waiting on a cheaper gain. And so for that reason, we eventually quit. Uh, sending them off. If you get the right people, uh, it, it can be good, but, uh, you know, it is costly freight-wise and all. And then the other thing is they kind of come back right in the, in the spring when it's real dry here, and it's like you're taking on more cattle right when you're kind of thin on grass. So, for several reasons, we kind of changed the uh, the system around, and, and so we do it differently. But I, it, it works for a lot of people. And Mr. Ralph, we are heading towards the end of our conversation today. And before we finish, I'd like to ask you a few quick questions, and you can just give me your thoughts on those specific things. Um, I will ask you, what will be your two um favorite cattle breeds well obviously the 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 brangus which comes from the brahmin and angus are my favorite that's the ones we're using uh, we we feel that they have good acceptance as far as uh uh from the packer um and uh and they're uh, adapted to this environment so we're working with an animal that that uh works for us and works for the feed yard and works for uh, for the uh, consumer. So we, we think that's good. We are looking into a possibility of 
of a uh, another breed to uh, cross so that we can get some hybrid vigor. That's still in the studying stages. Okay. And if you have to select the two forage species that you like here in Okeechobee? Well, we have um, probably half of our pastures are uh, bahia grass, and so they're an old standby. And then um, we have star grass and uh, uh, limpo grass. And so really, Dr. Joe, you asked for two, but I'm kind of going to give you three because three is what we got. And we... We like all three of them. They each have uh, a, a, some pluses and some minuses, but they all play a an important role for us. Mm-hmm. We now we we bought another property and it has some jigs, and so we're gonna learn. Uh, we're recently it's recently acquired, so um, we've got to kind of learn how to use it uh, the best we can. Okay. And the last question is, uh, Mr. Ralph, when you are not working on the range here, um, what is your hobby? What do you like to do? My uh, hobby is, uh, I, I hate to say it, but my hobby is work. But so, <laughs> since I have to uh, pick some other things, horses have always been um, a hobby of mine. And traveling, my wife and I like to go uh, to places and um, and. And my daughter and my grandchild are, of course, that's that's real special to me. Okay. I'm very proud of them. Okay. And, uh, Mr. Ralph, I'd like to thank you very much for participating in the podcast today. As I told you, we'll be back for for other topics that we can probably talk for for many, many hours here. So I'll be back with new ideas, and I, I really appreciate your participation. And this is the the final for this podcast today. And I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what? <laughs>